بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والصلاة والسلام على أشرف المرسلين سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه ومن تبعه بإحسان إلى يوم الدين Brothers and sisters, in session one we identified the characters if I may use the expression our players in the narrative so that now whenever I'm speaking about Rasulullah me and you share a common perception even if at a minimum level when I'm talking about Anas you vaguely have an idea about Anas Inshallah, in the final session, we will uh, complete the jigsaw by introducing Anas when he was an adult. Abdullah ibn Umar when he became married and have children. So that you appreciate them now when they are adults. And realize that those adults that you recognize and venerate, they were not great adults. They did not just become great when they became adult. Their greatness was a process being made and developed since they were young. And in that, there is a message to you as parents that don't think that, I'm not trying now to philosophize things, but I do believe that transformation, the earlier it happens, the more genuine and stable it is. I know that a lot of us become practicing when we join Islamic society at university and we become very good, mashallah, and everything. But this is not like someone who was a hafiz at the age of five or six or seven and knows how to lower the gaze at the age of eight. He will not have problems lowering the gaze in the summer because he has always been doing this for the last 20, 30 years. Unlike someone who just converted into Islam a couple of days ago and then bombed train station. It makes a lot of difference in understanding, in knowledge, emotions. And remember this example that Rasulullah was building blocks, blocks of the character. So the blocks cannot be just like this when you are at the age of 20. The blocks are built gradually, slowly, smoothly, naturally. And this is exactly what Rasulullah was doing. Now, in this session, what are we going to do? We are going to complement and continue our narrative. How are we going to do that? Well, I have actually put the first block that Rasulullah built with the children, one word, confidence. He wanted to create a love relationship and a confident or a confidence relationship between them and the Prophet, between him and those children. They don't want instructions. They don't want orders. Children might not appreciate a circle in tafsir or in fiqh, because they are children. They want to play, they want to laugh, they want to enjoy themselves. And they want to fall in love with that that anticipates them to listen to him, be it a father, a mother, or a Rasulullah So before a Rasulullah speaks to them about hellfire, and jannah, and qiyamah, and uh, dunya, and uh, how important it is to pray, and to wear hijab, and to uh, read the Qur'an, he was spending a lot of effort and investing and a lot of time to make them love him. And I will prove it by showing to you that a lot of the nonverbal communication that with Rasulullah with children was exactly in serving that purpose. And once you do that, then the medicine, taking of the medicine becomes easy. I wipe your head or I make masah or I... Uh, just gently put my hand on your and ask you to pray. I say to you, Abdullah ibn Abbas, I love you. Try to make the hajjud. Do you understand? The two are coming together. But if, if one is coming before the other, it's the love. It's the emotion. It's building a confidence relationship between. Why am I saying this again? To hit it hard. Parents must build a loving relationship, not loving by, oh, I love you. No, loving relationship that is based on confidence. That you become friends to your children. And that's why I said that it's good for the parents to be young so that they become friends with their children. If, I, if you are married, mar if you got married, say, at the age of 30, when they are 20 or 50, fine. If you are like Rasulullah and you're going to race with them and play with them, fine. But if you are going to have a big belly and you're not going to race with them because you are 50 and ill and have diabetes and a heart attack and going to hospital, it's gone. So when Umar became a Muslim, who became a Muslim with him? His son. They were friends. 
And that's why many hadiths, Umar was talking to Abdullah ibn Umar, and Abdullah ibn Umar was talking to Umar. Because they were... Uh, Ja'far ibn Abi Talib, one of the relatives of Rasulullah his son, Abdullah ibn Ja'far, there wasn't a generational gap between him and his son, or between the son and the father, only 11 years. So imagine, his father is 40 and the son is 30, playing football, cricket, whatever, you name it. Son and father, but the, there isn't a generational gap between them. And by the way, and this is again not philosophizing, that I don't believe in something called generational gap. Uh, the gap is created by you being out of touch. of I, I could be out of touch of my generation. And I could uh, tap into the youth culture today and try to... Uh, I know my face, my, my, my complexion will not make me accessible to the young. But at least I can be... I can familiarize myself with the with the culture of the, with the music they listen to, the sort of talks and uh, how they text message each other and use uh, all these sorts of things. Uh, a father, for example, can know how to use the computer if he is at the age of 50 or 60. Can you, can know how to use the internet and open an account in Hotmail and sometimes email his son. This is, this is possible. So generational gap are only created when you choose to create a generational gap. So let's see how did Rasulullah build the emotional block in the dimension and in the character of the children. First of all, immediately I said to you the word love. I want to use another word, mercy, rahmah. And I know that this is something that Muslims, shiukh, imams say it a lot, Rasulullah But really, I want you to visualize this rahmah based on the first session, based on identifying our character in the first narrative. Think about the touch, think about the look, think about the smile, think about all that happening in a context of rahmah, genuine rahmah, not pretentious, not seasonal, not when you are in a good mood, not when you are employed, and when you are unemployed, you beat up your... No, it is a conviction, and it's a principle. No one smiles all the time if he is moody. Rasulullah smiled all the time, even if inside he was burning out of anger or out of worrying about uh, battles or about Muslims being killed. His own son Ibrahim was, uh, was, was dead, etc., etc. He weeps, he cries, but that, that is not a dominant uh, attitude when interacting with, certainly when inter interacting with children. And this is exactly Rahmah, what Anas ibn Malik exactly wanted to say. If he was sitting here, he would say to you, like what he says in this hadith, كان صلى الله عليه وسلم أرحم الناس بالصبيان والعيال That Rasulullah was the most merciful among all people. And Anas ibn Malik knows exactly what he's talking about. Out of personal experience and out of what he saw. He saw people that are merciful and he saw Rasulullah that is merciful and no way are they comparable to each other. That's why he's saying no one is like Rasulullah in his mercy. وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ إِلَّا And you know the, the verse. وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ إِلَّا رَحْمَةً لِلْعَالَمِينَ what, what this of a personal experience that Anas ibn Malik is talking about? Well, a lot, a lot, a lot, but just to give you a sense and a flavor. Anas ibn Malik had a brother who is called Abu Umair. And Abu Umair had a small pet, a small bird that was called an nughair And I want you again to contemporize these examples. Imagine your child had a small teddy bear that he or she would not go to bed without the teddy bear, or Maisie, or I don't know which characters, Mickey Mouse, or uh, Barbie, unfortunately. But Im imagine a pet, and suddenly that pet, if it was a toy, was broken, or if it was a live pet, it became sick, or more seriously, died. What sort of impact will that have on the child? Now, Rasulullah can go and say, إِنَّا لِلَّهِ وَإِنَّا إِلَيْهِ رَاجِعُونَ قَضَاءُ وَقَدَرُ Allah predestined that he dies. Well, this might be indeed true, but not for a child. A child needs comforting. A, a child needs someone to cheer him. A child needs someone 
to talk exactly about the theme and issue that he is thinking about anything or he is not thinking about anything except that theme, the pet. And that's why they say that when someone dies, it is good, not bad, it is good to talk about the deceased. If so, if you go and give your condolences and you say, he was good, mashallah, your father was good, or your neighbor was good, or your relative was good. I remember one day he came to me, this, 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 don't think, oh, I don't want to remind him. No, he wants to be reminded because he cannot think about anything other than that. So a child is extremely and emotionally linked with that pet. So Rasulullah and this hadith is so famous and you know it, so much famous that it is narrated in many narrations. And each narration, by the way, this is another camera that is looking at the seerah, each narration gives a dimension. One narration says that Rasulullah entered and said, why is Umair upset? And imagine, imagine, I don't want to dramatize things, but look, this is a prophet coming to visit a child. And he is showing concern. And he is thinking about battles, Badr and Uhud. He's thinking about wives. He's thinking about Ibrahim that have the... But yet, his heart is so big that he can afford to think about this question. Why is Umair upset? Why is he crying? This is one narration. And another narration, he says, Oh Umair, come, let's pray together. And in another narration, there is another dimension. But just let's take the essence of the narrative. An Anas, قال, كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم أحسن الناس خلقا. Look at the introduction. He's giving an introduction to the narrative. Anas is saying, Rasulullah was the most mannered, the, the, on the top of morals. He wants basically to say, وَإِنَّكَ لَعَلَى خُلُقٍ عَظِيمٍ. That's what he wants to say. وَكَانَ لِي أَخْ and I had a brother. This is where the personal experience comes. You see, you can read the tafsir of Ibn Kathir about فَبِمَا رَحْمَةٍ مِّنَ اللَّهِ لِنْتَ لَهُمْ But you don't have a personal experience of Rasulullah that you encountered. But Anas has. He says, وَكَانَ لِي أَخْ And I had a brother. يُقَالُ لَهُ أَبَا عُمَيْرُ وَهُوَ فَطِيمٌ He just finished breastfeeding. Two and a half, three years, four years. Probably, I don't know, wearing nappies, I don't know. And he is sad. كَانَ إِذَا جَاءَنَا كَانَ إِذَا جَاءَنَا Rasulullah when he comes to visits, he says, يَا أَبَا عُمَيْرِ مَا فَعَلَ النُّغَيْرِ I tend to think that what is meant in the hadith, كَانَ إِذَا جَاءَنَا that he comes regularly, and he regularly asks the question, أَبَا عُمَيْرِ what happened to النُّغَيْرِ Rasulullah knows exactly well what happens to An-Nughayr. The Nughayr is dead. The small bird is dead. What I want to say to you in a nutshell, that Rasulullah is talking about a theme that is not necessarily concerns him. Because you concern yourself with answering questions that you don't know the answer to. But this is not the issue. The issue is that the theme is related to the one that is feeling the sorrow. So you're asking questions not for you to know the answer, but for him to know that you are concerned. How are you now? Are you feeling well? You know that he is living in hell, but it's important to ask and important to anticipate the answer, even if no answer. But he or she will recognize that you've asked and that you've showed concern. Not only once, but many times whenever you come and visit. I had a younger brother. To him he used to say, Rasulullah Oh Aba Umair, where is gone your Nughair? And Nughair is the name of a very small bird. Tirmizi, Tirmizi says in comment of this hadith, that the Prophet called the child by his kunya, Abu Umair. He wasn't called Abu Umair. But again, to give him this sort of adulthood feeling that you are Abu Umair, Abu Muhammad. He's not married and he's not, he doesn't have a son called Umair. But again, by way of making him happy and cheering him. He called the child by the kunya, the necessity for which arose from the fact that the boy, he had reared a bird which had died. And so the boy was sitting in a sorrowful condition. Hence, just to cheer the boy up, the Prophet asked him, as to what has happened to his pet, Al-Nughayr. And then Ibn Hajar and others uh, commented on the hadith saying that 
this hadith shows many, many benefits. One of the benefits that it's permissible to ask a question where you know the answer to. There are other things, other benefits. For example, one of the benefits is to lower your level of understanding and to talk in a way that is understandable to the listener. Rasulullah doesn't. He's not concerned about the Nuhayr. He saw his son die. He saw this woman die in the battle. He saw his cousin die. He saw his uncle die. Abu Talib died when he was a mushrik and he wanted him to... to. But what is more important is the emotion. Is that block that he's trying to build. He's trying to show the child. And this is something else that is fascinating. He's trying to show the child that nothing is wrong with being upset or feeling sorrow for a pet. Don't be embarrassed to cry when the pet is dead. No, this is something that is legitimate. And this is something that is so important, so much so, that I'm going now to say a hadith that is going to be put forever till the day of judgment in the books of Bukhari and Muslim or Umair about your very pet. What more of glory and honor do you want? We would not have known the name of that pet that, that has been buried and eaten by the worms, but it was made famous because it happened in a context of a child rearing that bird. Brothers and sisters, building the emotional block is very crucial in the methodology and in the vision of Rasulullah So much so, Rasulullah and imagine, imagine if someone said to you, and you are a judge or a ruler, I committed zina. When a woman that is married commits adultery and comes to you and says, I committed adultery, and she says it four times certifying that she committed adultery, what will you do? You will say, oh, according to the Quran and Sunnah, you have to be punished. But Rasulullah didn't do that. Why? Why? Because of the child. The child... Brothers and sisters, please imagine... Imagine that child that will never see his mother again. That child that when he reaches the age of three or four or five, his mother will be dead. Yet, these couple of years are important and extremely significant that he lives with his mother. That he is being breastfeeded by his mother, cuddled by his mother, embraced and kissed and loved by his mother that is going to die soon. Could you imagine that? This mother could have run away when she was released. That mother was not kept under house arrest, was not shackled, was not detained. She was not considered a security threat. She attended the Friday prayer. She went to the mosque. She went to buy milk or food for her baby in the market. And everyone knew that she committed adultery. But she was protected, maintained, her honor was protected and maintained because of her child. What more of rahmah do you want other than that? And compare that with someone that is born to kill and born to explode. This is someone who committed adultery. This is not someone who was worshipping Allah 24 hours. No, committing adultery while married. And that's why when Khalid ibn Walid, and now you can understand... Why Khal Walid hit her, hit her head and bleeded her head out of anger and out of disrespect? This is Khalid's, this is our attitude. Khalid represents our attitude. Rasulullah represents the attitude of the Rahim, of the Khuluq al-Azim, of Rahma lil-Alameen. Says, Ya Khalid, Wallahi, she repented. So much so that if her repentance was made like a blanket or spread over the heads of all the companions, we are talking about over 2,000 companions, it will cover them, including you, Khalid. We always focus on the mother in that incident. But what can we think about the child? Can we, brothers and sisters, and this is the final comment I'm going to make on this incident, can we think about this child when he grows up? how much he will love Rasulullah because he spared him, his mother, for three or four years for her to rear him? Won't he remember his mother as someone that repented before she died? Imagine this child growing up 
with the rest of the children and the children knowing his story, do you think that they will look disrespectfully at him or they will respect him and love him and compensate the loss of his mother and the mothers of these children will love him more and will care for him more because his mother used to be a pious lady and she repented before she was dead? Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought of extrapolating incidents that are not necessarily and categorically mentioned in the hadith, but are natural to anticipate? I urge you to think about Islam like this, and I urge you to think about hadith like this, and I urge you to think about your heritage like this, because wallahi, if you think about it like this, you will become more rahim, and more soft, and more tender. If not with your child, because you are not married, at least with your father, and with your mother, and with your sister, and with your brother, and with the entire humanity. This is rahmah of Rasul Sallallahu But that was not only action by way of claim or by way, that was even through body language. Through wiping. Through, I don't want to say massaging, because this is not, not, not the right word. Although a couple of days ago, and I thanked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala very much for that. And I thought that this course is blessed because I found this quotation. I was in the GP a couple of days ago and I looked at a magazine. And it was, I think, a health magazine and it talked about massaging babies and how significant it is to massage babies. And the article was long and talking about massaging and how to cuddle them and how to carry them. And, and at the end, it says what? The article. And here I, I wrote the quotation. It says, research studies made in the animal kingdom and cross-cultural studies show that. Show what? Show that infants that are held, that are carried, that are massaged, are healthier. And please write the following under two red lines. And their societies are less aggressive and violent. Think about the bombing and think about societies that are less aggressive and violence and think about infants that are being kicked and beaten up and deserted and think about infants that are being cuddled and massaged and kissed and think after all that or before that about the Prophet ﷺ doing all that. That which stabilizes society and builds the emotional block in the character of the child. Think about that. So wiping on the head, and Rasulullah did it. Abdullah ibn Ja'far, the one whose his father is only 11 years older than him. Abdullah ibn Ja'far says, and he was young at that time, مَسَحَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ بِيَدِهِ عَلَى رَأْسِي I think three times. The child, and he's an adult now, is proud and boosting that Rasulullah wiped on his head and he even remembers the numbers of wiping. Like a wife might remember very well how many times the husband have beaten her, have kicked her. A child also remembers how many times he has been kicked or beaten or kissed, cuddled or wiped. Abdullah bin Ja'far remembers very well. But the Rasulullah and this is what is interesting also, while wiping, he was making dua that Abdullah bin Ja'far memorized. Abdullah Ja'far said, after he wiped, فَلَمَّا مَسَحَ قَالَ اللَّهُمَّ خْلِفْ جَعْفَرًا فِي وَلَدِهِ Because Ja'far, his father, died as a martyr, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is making dua for his offspring, including Abdullah ibn Ja'far. What is fascinating is that Abdullah ibn Ja'far, after all these years, he remembers that the Rasulullah now who is dead, wiped on his head and wiped three times. And after wiping, he said this dua. You see how much a child can remember? Never say a child is too young to remember. Any verbal abuse, any fight between you as parents, he or she will register. I remember, and I'm sure that you do, when I was five or six, I remember a lot of things. Not 
vividly, but I do remember. And you know, and you might know as people who might have studied psychology that the memory, there is long-term memory and short-term memory. Long-term memory are these, one of the things where the memory becomes a long-term memory is that when the incidence is unique or is associated with joy or pain. That's why they say to turn the Qur'an into long-term memory, you repeat it. One of the things to transfer the memory from short-term to long-term is repetition. But another way is to associate it with someone or something that is painful or enjoyable. I remember this music. I love this music, not because of the music, but because the music was played when I was 20. Oh, I, rem- I wish I was 20. Or if you are now married to your beloved one, oh, do you remember this music that we used to download from the internet we were, when we were in love? Let's play it again. Isn't that right? So, Rasulullah what is he trying to do? He's trying to create what I call positive association with education. So he's educating you and giving you dua and hadith and Quran but while kissing you and while wiping on your head and while smiling to you. So, this is wiping. What about kissing? Rasulullah again and there are many hadiths. And Abi Huraira radiallahu anhu narrated by Abi Huraira radiallahu anhu he says قبل النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم الحسن Rasulullah kissed Al-Hasan ibn Ali, and you know now Al-Hasan, you know now that he died at the age of 46, and he looked like Rasulullah if you want to be precise, the top, the top of him was like the top of Rasulullah And while he kissed him, and this is the point I'm trying now to make, the significance of it, that is, while he kissed him, one of the companions said, Ya Rasulullah, ten boys, he said, Ya Rasulullah, I have ten boys that I have never kissed. And Rasulullah says, "Man la yarham la yurham. Whoever does not have mercy on anyone, on people, no one will have mercy on him. Now we, we tend to quickly read this hadith, which is famous, I'm sure, to some of you. But I want to give it again, my uh, crazy twists. Imagine, brothers and sisters, those children that are ten, they grow up never being kissed by their father. Do you think that they will become lovers to their wives? Do you think that they will one day kiss their father that never taught them to kiss? Rasulullah is building emotional blocks so that these emotional blocks, when you are an adult, will beam to the rest of society including your mother, father, wife, and children, when you get married. So how can you offer something that you don't have? This is number one. Number two, what is Rasulullah doing in a society? You see, the comment of that companion shows what? Shows that he is shocked to see someone kissing in public. Now you see people snogging, which is, which is normal. At the time of the Prophet ﷺ in Mecca or in Medina, kissing, not a man kissing a wife or a man kissing a woman, no, a father kissing a son. Because it wasn't just the desert that they were suffering from, it was the desert in their feelings. They had the guts to bury their daughters alive. Why then can't they live with sons that they have never kissed? If someone can kill his own daughter, why then isn't it acceptable for him not to kiss his son and spare him and make him continue to live because he's a male? What Rasulullah is doing is that he is kissing in public because the sunnah of Prophet Muhammad are his words, his sayings and actions. He wants to make kissing a sunnah in a society that never experienced kissing. Do you understand? This is the significance of it. You see, this is to me the significance of this hadith. It's not about, oh, he's cuddling the baby and he's kissing the baby. No, look at who's watching and how he is commenting and how Rasulullah is commenting. And by the way, I want to just make a small comment on the comment of Rasulullah in response to the comment of Al-Aqra. 
He says, "Man la yarham la yurham." We tend to think that, oh, if you don't have mercy, Allah will. No, your very children will not have mercy on you if you don't have mercy on them. This could be another dimension to the meaning of this hadith. Okay, let me shock you with this kissing business to tell you that uh, indeed the companions absorbed this value, the value of being affectionate, compassionate, and expressing your emotions, but not just towards your children, but towards society at large. What do you mean? Umar ibn al-Khattab, when he became Amir al-Mu'mineen, he kissed one of his children. And this might shock some of you that have a wrong perception of Umar al-Khattab. Umar al-Khattab kissing. Umar al-Khattab usually says, Ya Rasulullah, just let me chop his head off. No. Umar al-Khattab kissed. And Umar al-Khattab laughed. And Umar al-Khattab smiled. But Umar al-Khattab was serious. If you do something wrong, he will get angry. But if you don't do anything wrong, he will put you at the top of his head. So Umar al-Khattab kissed his son. And one of the workers, one of his, the, the person that was employed by him, a governor, or someone who's responsible for a bureaucratic duty, he said to him exactly what Al-Akram Habis said to Rasulullah He said, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, look now, look, look at the comment, the same comment. He says, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, tuqabbilu anta Amir al-Mu'mineen. Do you kiss him and you are the leader of the faithful, he thinks that to be a leader, you have to be serious, you have to shout all the time. How come you are kissing him? And then Umar Khattab said, what is my sin if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have taken rahmah out of you? And then do you know what he did? He sacked him. But before sacking him, he said to him, by way of justifying the sacking, he said, you don't have mercy to your children. How then are you going to have mercy to the people that you govern? Are you going to kiss the people that you govern? No, of course not. But kissing is a simple symbolic manifestation of your heart. And if you think it's too much to kiss your son, then no way are you going to show a lesser manifestation of mercy to the strangers. He sacked him. Rasulullah did something that is fascinating. It might be classic to read and think about. It's famous. We read it all the time, but we think about the fiqh of it. The fiqh of it meaning that it's permissible to carry my baby while I'm praying. Oh, the fuqaha differed whether the urine of the baby is najis or not. Well, it depends on the age. If he is breastfeeding, it's that. If he stops breastfeeding, it's this. I want to give a human reading to the hadith. What is that human reading? Well, the hadith itself says that Abu Qutada narrates that Rasulullah كان يصلي بالناس Oh, let's say the hadith properly. عن أبي Qutada رضي الله عنه, he said, كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يصلي بالناس وهو حامل أمامة بنت زينب بنت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم فإذا سجد وضعها وإذا قام حملها the fuqaha said that yes, it's permissible to carry. But think about something, brothers and sisters. You know the hadith where Rasulullah says that when you are, and you, you see it in every mosque, where do the sisters pray? At the end. Is that right? Where do the children play, uh, pray and play? In the middle. And where do the adults, the male, pray? Straight away behind Rasulullah. This is the perception that you get when you enter the mosque. And this is, I am sure, the perception that you get and expect if you go accidentally to the mosque of Rasulullah. Now imagine, imagine that you go to the mosque of Rasulullah and you see a little girl at the very front of the mosque. In a society that used to bury girls, because girls bring shame to the society. What Rasulullah is trying to say? Well, he's saying many things. He's saying girls are pure. He's saying girls are honorable. So much honorable that you men pray behind them. Uh, don't, don't get me wrong now. Uh, what happened in the United States, etc. I'm, I'm, giving, I'm giving another. I'm thinking about another thing. Symbolic. 
I'm thinking about a child at the age of two, and she looks behind her and sees Umar, Abu Bakr, Uthman, Ali. Where is the mother? The mother is Zainab, the daughter of Rasulullah. Couldn't she carry that child? Couldn't any mother in the mosque carry that child? Couldn't any brother to that child carry her? Couldn't any adult? Carry her because the imam needs to focus like the speaker needs to focus. Who are we? I'm sure that Rasulullah can stay here on stage, talk to you while he's cuddling Al-Hasan and carrying Umama. Like he can focus in his salah while carrying Umama. He can do that. Why? Because he is Rahmah Lil-Alameen. Not seasonally and not in a moody way but everywhere and anywhere and in any context. Like he can end the prayer because a baby is crying, he can elongate the prayer because he is carrying umam. But all in all, what I want you to focus on is this body language carrying. And remember the quotation that I gave you earlier. Carrying the baby. Now imagine, now extrapolate. Imagine umama when she grows up and she prays and carries her daughter, will she just think about the fiqh of it, and whether he or she is urinating or not, sorry to use the word, or she will think about good memories. Do you remember positive associations? Emotional music? So, nice memories. I'm carrying you, oh, Nada, or Basma, or Suha, or Muna, or Alia. Because Rasulullah used to carry your mother when she was young. Playing with children, joking with children, having fun with children. Imagine, brothers and sisters, and you have not seen this, and you will never have seen it even if you were, if, even if you were a companion. Rasulullah raced with Aisha. Is that right? She, he raced with her? No companion. So Rasulullah racing with Aisha. The hadith is narrated only by Aisha because he raised her in private. But even in private, would you imagine an imam of a mosque racing with his wife? Running away from her, yes. <laughs> Chasing her from the kitchen to the bedroom, yes. But racing with her? But... This is, if you saw, it would be embarrassing to Rasulullah not at all, but this is a private endeavor. What would be embarrassing as a respectable person? Maybe in the Arabic culture or in some cultures, in Western, I don't know, in other cultures, to bring your tongue out is not appropriate. So imagine someone brings his tongue out in public. What would be the situation? I tell you, that it happened with Rasulullah Abu Huraira narrates, which shows that it's a public incident. And I want to read it in Arabic. And this is in the book of Ibn Hibban. Muhaddith, great Muhaddith. An Abi Huraira radiallahu an qal, كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم لا يدلع لسانه للحسن ابن علي فيرى الصبي حمرة لسانه. I could have said this in the physical appearance, by the way, to make you appreciate the Rasulullah and consequently to appreciate this incident. He says, I saw a Rasulullah or a Rasulullah used to, which shows that it happened more than once. Bring his tongue out. So, to, to Al-Hasan, so that Al-Hasan sees the redness of the tongue of a Rasulullah. But what is he doing? He's playing with the child, but he's playing in public and he's not embarrassed from the cameras or the pens of the narrators. He's not embarrassed that you would know this incident. He's not embarrassed that I narrate this incident. He's proud of it. And that's why he did it, because he wants all of us to do it. Can you do it in public? Sunnah of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And that's why Umar ibn al-Khattab, Umar al-Khattab again, the one that was kissing. I'm trying to give you unusual incidents that clash with your perceptions. I'm trying to, he, Rasulullah is building blocks, I'm trying to demolish blocks in our mentality and probably rebuild them again. New blocks. Umar al-Khattab 
is saying, and this is a fascinating quotation, because the narrator is fascinating. If it was other than Umar, we would have said, okay, fine. But Umar to say that, Umar says, the man, this is to you brothers, with his wife and with his children, should behave like a baby. Probably mothers and wives think about men like this anyway, but <laughs> behave like a baby. Meaning, easygoing, approachable, nice, innocent, like a baby. You beat him up, he doesn't retaliate. You speak to him with a toy, he smiles. Umar al-Khattab says, يَنْبَغِي لِلْرَجُلْ أَنْ يَكُونَ فِي أَهْلِيكَ And when that very child or very baby is called for a duty, he is found a responsible man. فَإِذَا الْتُمِسَ مَا عِنْدُهُ وَوُجِدَ رَجُلًا He smiles with his wife, he plays with his girls and boys at home, but when he is called, he behaves like a man. Or like a woman, a responsible woman. Rasulullah gave gifts, gave presents, not just in Eid times, he gave it any time. Because gifts make you beloved to children. Think about, you see, think about what Rasulullah is trying to do. He's trying to make children love him. He gave gifts because he wanted children to love him. In fact, you yourself know the hadith, tahadu tahabu. Give gifts so, so that you may love each other more and more, which means that gifts has a functional role to play. And there are many hadiths that serve that dimension, and I'm going to quote you one or two hadiths. In the book of Muslim, narrated by Ibn, narrated by Abu Huraira, radiallahu anhu, أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم كان يؤتى بأول الثمر فيقول اللهم بارك لنا في مدينتنا ثم يعطيه أصغر من يحضره من الولدان Every season the crops, the dates, the fruits of al-Madina will come to Rasulullah sallam and he will distribute them and to their dues whoever deserve that portion but before he does all that as the ruler before he distributes he brings they say in the hadith he brings the youngest children and gives them some dates first. And says, Allahumma, bless our Medina. Bless our city. Bless our people. Bless our crops and fruits. Bring the children. I want to give them some dates. And imagine the child taking some dates from the hand of the Prophet ﷺ. And there is a long queue of adults. They are all waiting for the children to finish eating the dates, and if they want some more, they can have some more, and they leave. They can play football afterwards, but they were blessed to queue, first in the queue, to take some dates from the hands of a Prophet ﷺ. So imagine what sort of an emotional link will happen between them and Rasulullah Oh Ya Rasulullah, order me to do anything, I will do it, because one day you gave me dates, one day you give me gifts. Brothers and sisters, give your children gifts. Go to the charity shops if you can't afford toys from early learning center, for example. Go to the charity shop. Go to Poundland. It's not the, it's, it's not the toy. It's that you are building an experience with your child that my father bought me a toy. The toy will break. Will break after five minutes, especially if it's from Poundland. But, but that's not the issue. The issue is that one day my father brought me a broken toy from Poundland for a pound. In the book of At-Tabarani, the narration of the hadith happened after the death of the Prophet ﷺ. Ishaq ibn Yahya ibn Talha. It seems that this is a tabi'i. He says, I was with my uncle, Isa ibn Talha, in the mosque, perhaps in Medina or in Damascus. And an old man entered, called As-Sa'ib ibn Yazid. Now, As-Sa'ib ibn Yazid, an old man now, he is a companion. Because he saw the Prophet ﷺ. Anyone who saw the Prophet ﷺ, and he was a Muslim while seeing him, and he remained a Muslim till the death of Prophet Muhammad ﷺ, he's a companion. 
and he has to have seen him or touched him or was a contemporary with him or have met him even if he was blind. So the seeing is not an issue here. It's being with him. It's listening to his voice. Because the Mu'addin of Rasulullah Abdullah ibn Maktoum was blind yet he was a companion. And Najashi believed in Rasulullah but he was in Abyssinia he haven't seen the Prophet he's not a companion. Okay, this is just a small definition. Al-Sa'ib ibn Yazid is an old man now. When he was young, he was a child. Well, that's an obvious statement. But everyone knows that he's a companion. But now we are not the age of the companions. We are in the age of the tabi'een. So, Isa, the uncle, is saying to Ishaq. Ishaq seems to be a young boy, young tabi'i. He says, go and ask as saib ibn Yazid. Has he ever seen a Rasulullah So Ishaq goes to the sheikh. In the, in the hadith it says the sheikh, an old man. And he says, my uncle Isa ibn Talha is asking you, هل رأيت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم? Have you seen Rasulullah صلى الله عليه And this sheikh is saying what now? Talking about beautiful memories, childhood memories. He's saying, I entered one day to a Rasulullah in the mosque ومعي غلمة with some children which shows if anything good company. Okay, they were not gangsters. They were going to the mosque to meet a Rasulullah And we saw him in the mosque or in the house or in the marketplace, doesn't say in the hadith, فَوَجَدْنَاهُ يَأْكُلُ تَمْرًا He was eating dates with some companions. And when he saw us, السَّائِب, the sheikh, is saying, and when he saw us, he took some dates and he gave them to us. What next? Nothing. End of story. But what an honorable story. What a fascinating document. What a source of pride. So much so that the uncle says to the son or to the young boy, go and ask him, have you seen him? So what if, yes, you have seen him. Yes, you touched his hand. And yes, you've eaten dates that he has given you. What a source of honor and what a source of pride. The fascinating thing is that he still remembers. And this is exactly what I'm saying. And a final comment, notice in that hadith how the uncle is anxious to link the young boy with the legacy of Rasulullah Imagine now a celebrity is moving in the street and you go and ask your son to ask this celebrity for an autograph. What are you doing? You are linking your son with that celebrity, with the shoes of that celebrity with the shaver of that celebrity, with the glasses of that celebrity, with the shirt of that celebrity, with the haircut of that celebrity, with the scandals of that celebrity, with the pregnancy of the girlfriend of that celebrity. Now imagine, you link that boy with a simple story, such as seeing the Prophet What sort of a bond are you creating with the young generation? You are making them feel that everything that is associated with the Rasulullah is honorable, including that sheikh who is called As-Sa'ib ibn Yazid. There is an uh, incident. Uh, we spoke about the emotional block and how the Rasulullah used uh, carrying, cuddling, uh, wiping on the head, uh, kissing, playing with children by way of building their emotional block or by way of building their emotional dimension in their character. And I suggested that without that, they will not be emotional fathers. They will not be emotional mothers. They will not be able to offer compassion to uh, society. Another thing that uh, Rasulullah did is that Rasulullah according to that hadith that is narrated by At-Tabarani, was sitting in the mosque and Umm Ayman, a woman, a well-known companion, came to Rasulullah and said, Ya Rasulullah, Dalla al-Hasan wa al-Hussein. Al-Hasan and al-Hussein are lost, are missing. And straight away Rasulullah ordered the companions to do a quick search for al-Hasan and al-Hussein. Young children. 
and they are missing, and no adult is accompanying them. And Rasul sallam went himself searching for them as well. So he participated in the search campaign as if it were. And they went and found them in an isolated place, but they were terrified. And you know what happened? They got lost. And uh, while they were lost, there was a huge snake that was just about to attack them. And imagine two children that are terrified, frightened. One is one year older than the other. I don't want to say twins, but they were extremely close to each other. And who knows, this closeness might have been built by the emotional training of Rasul They were hugging each other out of being terrified. And Rasul straight away he came. According to the hadith, I'm not bringing my own words. The snake began looking at Rasul and according to the narrator, I'm not putting my own words, it seems that a conversation, وَإِذَا شُجَاعَ أَيْ حَيَّ قَائِمٌ عَلَى ذَنْبِهِ يُخْرِجُ مِنْ فِيهِ شَرَرَ النَّارِ فَأَسْرَعَ إِلَيْهِ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ فَالْتَفَتَ مُخَاطِبًا لِرَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ ثُمَّ انْسَابْ أَيْ جَرَى The snake looked at Rasul talking to Rasul or probably Rasul was talking to the snake and the snake straight away left and Rasul went to the terrified Al-Hasan and Al-Hussein, separated them apart, again wiping on their head. But now the context is different. The context is that he is wiping to comfort them out of fear. And then, and this is the another gist of the hadith, he carried one of them on one shoulder and carried the other on the other. If you at that time had a digital camera and took a photo to the Prophet of the Prophet ﷺ and showed it years and years and years and years after that to Muslims living in London or Washington, people might say, you are a liar. We would not expect Rasul ﷺ to do such a thing, that he is being surrounded by children or companions. A snake just ran away and he, if you want, I don't want to give uh, like a fire brigade, rescuing children from a burning building, holding those two grandson of his wiping on their head and making uh, this comment bi wa ummi antuma ma akramakuma ala allah you are so dignified in the sight of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala i uh, will uh, will do what i can to protect you and to uh, help you and then he carried one as i said on the left and one on the right the point i'm trying to make is this carrying and this wiping at the moment of fear. So when you see your child doing something that might be wrong, but as a result he is terrified, don't reproach him here and then. But take him and embrace him. And they say that when a newborn baby has arrived into the family and there is an already jealous child, this child might beat the new baby. They say that the big mistake is to go and beat the one who has beaten the new. Because he's doing this out of fear that you don't love him, you desert him anymore. So the way to deal with him is to give him more love, him or her, by embracing her and by kissing her. And forget about the crying baby. This is amazing. Forget about the crying baby. At least make that uh, girl or boy emotionally secure in time of terror and in time of worry and in time of fear. But the, the other hidden message in that, in that hadith, which is fascinating, when Rasul heard that they were missing, he straight away searched for them. And here I want to contemporize this hadith a little bit by saying, do parents today search for their sons and daughters? Do they know what they are doing in the internet cafes or in the coffee shops or behind the school building? Are they aware where their children are going in the evening, Friday night? Are they really going to the mosque? Are they really going to meet their friends in a, uh, in a religious and pious place? Or do we need actually to apply the sunnah of Prophet Muhammad and to actually go and search for them? Because there are bigger snakes in society that might one day eat them. 
And you are not the prophet, so you will not have any conversation with that big snake. So the snake will eat them, that is for sure. And when you come, it will be only too late. The other thing that I wanted to make it categorically, uh, or specifically confined to uh, children, female children, is how Rasulullah was merciful with female children. And one of the immediate examples that I would like to give is how he deals with Fatima, السلام, his daughter, in that hadith where uh, it says that Fatima entered to the room where Rasulullah was sitting. And look at that. Again, what is amazing in this hadith is that they are verbally mute. There is no words. It's just images. It's just action. It's just bodily movement. You have to now read between the lines because there is no narrator here. فَقَامَ إِلَيْهَا He stood up. He's not talking. He's not, say, he's not saying, I'm standing up now. No, he stood up. And he kissed her. Fatima. And he made her sit in his place. Not next to him, but in his place. And then he sat next to her. This is Rasulullah and how he receives children. Unfortunately, fortunately or unfortunately, this hadith is famous because it has been fiqh-sized. Fiqh-sized meaning that we look at it only from the fiqh point of view. Is it allowed to stand up? Yes, it's allowed to stand up for ulama out of respect, for the elders out of respect, or for someone that you love. And Rasulullah it has been narrated that he stood for Fatima. Fine, this is the fiqh. But where is the compassion? Where is the love? Where is a prophet that receives revelation from Allah standing for his daughter? And kissing, kissing her, not saying, oh, kiss your father now. You may, you may kiss your father now. And he doesn't say sit on the floor because your respected father, he receives revelation, he's sitting in the middle of the... No. In the Arab culture, and I'm sure it's an Islamic... Uh, courtesy as well is that when you treat someone well you make him sit in uh, your place unless you are in prison or something but you make him sit in in, in in your place out of respect and out of showing love to me you know what's important in that to me and you might disagree with me especially sisters you know what Rasulullah is doing Rasulullah is fulfilling the girl at an early stage, and please bear with me and, and don't get offended. He's fulfilling the girl emotionally so that the girl does not easily fall when there is a stupid guy waiting for her outside the school tells her that you are beautiful. If a girl is coming from a house where she is only being beaten or insulted or sweared at, or saying, may Allah curse the day that you were born. Or, or, or. And the ugliest boy on this earth come and says, I can't sleep the night without thinking about you. You are the most beautiful, even if she was like him. You are the most beautiful. I'm sorry to say this, but I'm joking. You are the most beautiful. It's a, and they will fall in love with each other because both of them are not. But are you going to kiss me? I have been kissed by my father. Are you going to say that you are beautiful? My mother already said it to me. <laughs> Welcome home. My mother said it to me. My father said it to me. Then Ali ibn Abi Talib marries Fatima. He has to compete. He has to show more compassion. He cannot show less than that. Because Rasulullah dealt with her exactly like that. And this is a message to all the girls and all the boys and all the parents. Nothing is wrong with telling your daughter that she is beautiful, with spending some time with her, with uh, cuddling her, with carrying her, with like any human being, they need their emotions to be filled. And then they go out to society protected, vaccinated against those wolves outside that ju just want to mess with girls and prey on the weak, emotionally weak. So you need to be stabilized emotionally. And this is exactly what Rasulullah was doing. He was building the, building the emotions of the girl. And finally, girls, 
And this is fascinating hadith, and I cannot cease but thinking about it and visualizing it again. عن أم خالد بنت خالد ابن سعيد أم خالد is a young child but again like السائب من يزيد she narrates this hadith when she became a woman became a mother she says one day and Rasul Salam by when she narrated the hadith obviously I don't have to say it again she, he died Rasul Salam this was years 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 ago عن أم خالد بنت خالد ابن سعيد she says I came one day with the Prophet ﷺ, with my father. And look, she remembers. She remembers everything. She says, and I was at that time wearing a yellow shirt. She was young, child. فَقَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ سَنَة سَنَة Sana is not Arabic word. Do you know what is it? It's a Habashi expression. It's an Abyssinian expression. Because Um Khalid spent a lot of her years in Abyssinia. She migrated to Habasha and she remained there for years and years and years. It's like she migrated to London and she cannot speak Urdu, she can only speak English. So when she went to Pakistan, her grandfather said, How are you, Um Khalid? Nice meeting you. Kiale. He speaks to her in a language that she understands. So Rasulullah what is fascinating in this hadith, do you know what? He's not saying, how are you, Um Khalid? Kayf al-hal? To show the father that he cares about the daughter. No. Oh, father, just step aside for a minute. I am communicating with your daughter. I want her to know. And sana, sana, what does it mean? I want her to know that what she is wearing is beautiful. Sana, sana means beautiful, beautiful. I can't establish in that hadith whether he says to her, you are beautiful or gorgeous in Abyssinian. Or he is saying to the yellow shirt, beautiful shirt. But in either case, he is saying something that is good, fulfilling the emotions of the girl. And number two, speaking to her and doing exactly that through a language that they can understand, that she can understand. Now, you know what is fascinating to me? What is coming next? Um Khalid says, and after that, I began fiddling with the birthmark of the Prophet ﷺ, which shows that he is Khatam al-Anbiya or the seal of the Prophets. Do you know this birthmark? It's a birthmark that has three hairs coming out of it. It's a swollen mark that has three hairs coming. This is the, the, the birthmark. Rabbis, Christians, etc. at that time knew it. And like, that's why Salman al-Farisi, when he became a Muslim, he went just like this at the back of Rasulullah said, you want to see my birthmark, don't you? And he showed it to him. Now this girl is not asking for permission. She's playing. She's exploring. And she saw something interesting. Something fascinating to fiddle with. You know what is fascinating in this hadith? I haven't told you what is fascinating in this hadith yet. She fiddled with it. And what would a father say? You tell me what would a father say? Um Khalid, stop it. Don't we do that everywhere and anywhere to show the Prophet that she is a well-brought girl? That I'm disciplining her, stop it. Rasulullah won't like that. Don't be naughty here and at home. You will break the table or the glass. No, no. She says, فَزَجَرَنِي أَبِي My father reproached me and said, stop it. And Rasulullah says, دَعَهَا She says, she says, Rasulullah says, دَعَهَا Leave her alone. And he said to her, you remember when I said, Anas said that Rasulullah sometimes speaks three times. And I said to children, probably to children, and he repeats three times. Do you know what he said to her? He said, Abli wa akhliqi. Abli wa akhliqi. Abli wa akhliqi. Do you know what it means in Arabic? Tear and wear. Tear and wear. Tear and wear. Have you ever thought of bringing to your child a toy? for him or her to break, to tear and wear, just for the sake of exploring, because that in itself is a psychological exercise. And that's why I thought, my daughter loves going to the nursery and does not necessarily love coming back home. Because at home, no, don't. This will break, no, get away from the TV. But in nursery, everything is broken, all the toys are old. Break anything. <laughs> tear and wear, tear and wear, tear and wear. 
And what is fascinating is that Rasulullah is allowing her to tear and wear the most valuable sign of his prophethood. Imagine, imagine. Of course, he knows that this is just a child. Imagine she tears and wears Khatam al-Anbiya. Don't extrapolate too much in, through this imagination. I'm just trying to, to squeeze the lemon, to, to try to just see what sort of lessons we can get out of that. This is the extent to which Rasulullah was prepared to allow children to tear and wear, to explore and to play. Now don't take, talk to me about tables and glasses and this and that. If I'm allowing her to play with my birthmark, which signifies, which converts people to Islam, then you can imagine to what extent Rasulullah is prepared to allow children to play with. قولوا قولي هذا واستغفر الله لي ولكم فاستغفروه إنه الغفور الرحيم